Disrupting Japan, episode 59. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. You know, the world is full of startups that define themselves as the Uber for X or the Airbnb for Y. Frankly, most of those business models don't really make sense when you dig into them. Spacey, however, might just be onto something. Spacey rents out unused meeting space around Tokyo to salesmen, co workers, or people who just need a quiet place to conduct a little business. And as Takuma Omeda explains in the interview, it's not just meeting rooms that are being rented out. The sharing economy is relatively new in Japan, and Taku and I talk not only about some of the problems it's facing here, but why, in the long run, Japan might be better suited for sharing economy companies than anywhere else in the world. He also explains why Spacey decided to delay taking outside investment for almost three years, why they built their business, and how that turned into an advantage later on. But you know, he tells the story much better than I can. So let's hear from our sponsor and then get right to the interview. I want to tell you about Justa. Now, I've known these guys for years, and I've been recommending them long before they became a sponsor. Justa is really the only recruiting site that gets bilingual startups. Whether you're looking for American engineers or Japanese sales staff or the other way around, Justa can help you out. Unlike recruiting companies, they're priced to be very startup friendly, and unlike job boards, they're an active part of the startup community here, and they're trusted by some of the best talent Japan has to offer. So drop by justa.io and see what they're about. So I'm sitting here with Takumeda, co founder of Spacey. Thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Colony. Spacey is kind of like. Airbnb for meeting spaces. Yes. But that's a really overly broad description. So, why don't you tell us a bit of how it works? Spacey is, I mean, it's really like an Airbnb business. Because in Japan, wherever you have a meeting, if you have an outside meeting, it takes only place you go is a Starbucks or like a similar like、right. cafe. Every, everyone meets in、yeah. coffee shops. And, some, and then there is a you know, professional conference room. It costs like pretty expensive. It's probably like 5,000 yen per room per、mm-hmm. hour. And that price, you can't really do much. Like brainstorming and start up some business plan and stuff like that, you can't really do. And the cafe is not really good at it, too. So, we, we, we found that there is a gap between an expensive conference room and the Starbucks. Starbucks. So, we fit into the gap. So, something a little more formal and private than a coffee shop, but not quite as formal as a, a hotel meeting room、yes, or exactly. a, a、um, serviced office. So, tell me about your customers. Who is it that's renting out these spaces and why are they doing it? What kind of people? You know, there's a lot of salespeople around and、uh-huh. they sit in the Starbucks and do some business meeting. Or, and I thought those people need some sort of like private room. But like we now run this firm for like, like a little over than three years. And we finally found that not only the you know, outside sales guy. Using it, but also like a regular firm, like a back office people or 
marketing people, they don't have enough meeting room in their office. So a bunch of business people are actually using our meeting space. It's interesting. So people are using it for internal meetings? Yes. Huh. Do people usually rent it out for one hour or do they rent a space for an entire day? Usually, usually they use like hour, three hour to a little less than three hours. Okay, so yeah. a morning or an afternoon. Mm-hmm. And on the supply side, what kind of places are renting space? We had three different types of rooms. One is like、uh, those professional conference room, rental space, and co working space.、Uh-huh. Those are the professional rental space. And another one is normal business office. So just someone with a little extra space in their office? Yes. Or some, they have a meeting space, but they have a news time. We have、uh, schools, tutoring schools,、uh, language schools, karaoke places, and also like、uh, regular offices, like those, those. Karaoke spaces? Yeah, karaoke spaces. Okay, so who, that's, that's an interesting one. <laughs> so who's renting out karaoke spaces? Because I mean, I go on a lot of sales calls,、right. and I've done a lot of sales meetings in Starbucks, but I can't imagine doing sales in a karaoke booth. Right, exactly. But sometimes, like, they only need like, confidential things. Like, they don't want to, someone else to hear,、right. or they need some quietly have a table so that they could put the hanko on the documents <laughs> and stuff like that. So, it's, sometimes they don't. They don't need like a fancy conference room. They just need a privacy. In that case, karaoke room is, is、so. fine for them. So, in that case, are these people who are, I need to find a place right now、mm-hmm. and they'll find something locally? Or is it more people are planning meetings in advance? It depends, but usually our customers book our room within、uh, 10 days. So, 10 days in advance? Less than 10 oh, days. Oh, less than 10 days. Less than 10 days. Okay. And do some people book it like 15 minutes in advance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they do that. All right. Okay, that makes sense for kind of those karaoke booths or small places. But what about the offices? I mean, isn't there some resistance in these offices to having people sort of walking through?、Mm. And doesn't it disrupt the flow of everyday business? I think that happens too. So, those people who care that they don't post their room <laughs> in our website, obviously. But, you know, think about this way like a meeting room in an office used by、uh, employees to employees, employees to clients. Those are the only two ways that normal office meeting space have used, right?、Sure. But I use time. Unknown businessman and unknown businessman has a meeting, your empty meeting room. What's the problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if that is okay. Like, and, and also, if the room is like separated, completely separated from、uh, your workspace, those who use our, our website book the space, they don't really like. Come near your workspace. So you have the office layout is like, like separated from a okay. meeting room.、Man. Okay. So the, are the companies who are renting out their own office space, are they 
companies that tend to have like a receptionist who mm -hmm. can guide the people to, all right, that makes sense. And of the three types you mentioned, the, the conference rooms, the right. individual offices, and sort of the more general spaces, which oh. are the most common on your system? I forgot to tell the third one. Oh. <laughs> and we have uh, another one. It's like uh, Airbnb type. They rent out like a small room and they post it on our website. So it's a, a small room in a, in a home? In what, Let's what say like a one room apartment, studio type apartment kind of. Like okay. Soho, mansion, really small Japanese uh, studio type. Like 200, 300 square foot or 20, 30 square meters. Right. Okay, and of, of those three types, which, which are the most common? As an amount... Like a professional rooms, uh, maybe 50% of our rooms are from those uh, professionals. Then 10% are from uh, those Airbnb type. But like mo most common user likes are the, the Airbnb type rooms. So most of the bookings are to these, these dedicated just, rooms that are just used for this. Yes. Huh. And is that because they're, they're so much cheaper than the conference rooms? I think there's two reasons. There's one is location and the other is pricing. Because we basically use unused space. And unused space is like we don't know where it, where it is. So sometimes it's in good location, sometimes it's not. But those, the one Airbnb type, we put on like uh, two minutes Shinjuku station or like one minute away from Shibuya station. So it's very close to the high demand area. And it's something that can be booked 15 minutes in yes. advance as needed. Like maybe two minutes or one minute is like the, the least All right. time that you could book. Okay, now you've, you've clearly already got a lot of traction already. So you've got over 700 spaces and over 300,000 bookings so far. My question is, how big do you think this market is? It's really need to change the game, though. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, let's say Uber in U.S., nobody raise a hand and catch taxi anymore, right? They right. use smartphone and tap down the pin down and then call the taxi. So nobody have booked room at this moment much, you know? Only Spacey user does. Well, that's the, that's the interesting thing, because with something like Uber, for example... They're displacing the taxi industry. Mm -hmm. There's a behavior that the customers already have, and they're just substituting their product for another right. product. Or right. with Airbnb, people understand hotel rooms or bed and breakfasts, right. and they're just replacing their service right. for another. Right. But Spacey seems to be kind of different in that way, in that there's not an existing market right. for people renting this kind of space. They already have a meeting in their business, you know, in office hour, they have a bunch of meetings sure. everywhere in there, right? And they have meeting room in the office, fixed cost meeting room. Sure. And if there is a variable cost meeting room near your office, which is almost the same price as your fixed cost meeting room, and sometimes your office space is sometimes not enough. Sure, I can certainly understand that. Believe me, everyone that's worked in an office understands how right. hard it is to get meeting rooms. But how big do you think the potential market is? You must have done the calculations. <laughs> I'm sure you've made the pitch to the VC. Right. So how, how big do you think this market can be? I, don't, I can't really state like, how much dollar it is. But I'm, I'm sure that 
15% of all the work is in meetings, then uh, 15% of your office has to be a meeting space, right? Because your time. So I think that could be a big business chance that behind. Well, do you think that Spacey has potential to expand beyond places like Tokyo or, or maybe New York or especially Tokyo, where offices tend to be very small and real estate's very expensive? Do you think this product is something that is uniquely suited for Tokyo or do you think it has appeal in other markets as well? I think if we established in Tokyo and if we, you know, find like a core value of it, yeah, I think we could go out uh, as a global, you know, like their office building always has an empty room, right? Mm -hmm. And some tenants are looking for a room. So if they could reach to like the empty room and then they pay for it as a spot, then I think everybody should be happy on that. Well, right now, for example, um, what percentage of your business is in Tokyo and what percentage is it in other cities in Japan? More than like 90% are in Tokyo. So we should try to go out to other big cities like Osaka, Nagoya. Oh, okay. So you've really only, you've really only tried in Tokyo so far? Yes. Ah, okay. Do you have plans on, on moving into other cities? As soon as possible, like, but now we kind of like try out our cluster model in Shinjuku and then switch to Shibuya. And now it's try to cover whole Yamanote, inside the Yamanote line area. Okay, so just the, the main, most crowded areas of Tokyo. Yes, and then once we do that, and then we could just easier to switch over to other city. Okay, well, let's, let's back up a bit. When you and your partner were founding this company, yes. one of the biggest challenges for any multi-sided marketplace mm-hmm. is generating the demand on both sides. You need supply of rooms and you need the people who want to rent them. You have to have both of them before it's interesting to right. either one. How did you bridge that gap? Uh, we started find the supply side first. I think those, those supply side are mainly important. Because without them, we can't really... Because we, we knew that there is a professional conference room market over there. So those prices are very high, like 4,000, 5,000 yen per room. You know, we set up our room costs 500 yen to 1,500 yen. So uh, about 5 to $15 for overseas yes, listeners. To okay, so that's, that is pretty inexpensive. How did you reach the people who had the rooms? Did you use social media? Did you direct sales? Did you do advertising? How did you first get we, that initial group? We did like direct sales. Like we just go there and call them. Maybe we correct around 100 rooms. Just by phoning people? Yeah, phoning say, hey, people. You list? Yes, and- yes. And then we also do the previously mentioned like Airbnb type by ourselves, like our private money. So we rent one of the room. Okay. So we could set up the price because other people's stuff is we can't really control their pricing. So we, we set the price. We rent, we rent a room. So you were renting out your own rooms to yes. begin with. Okay. And I, I suppose when you were first starting up, did you, you had to do all the data entry and everything for these customers or were they willing to come on your site and input their data? Uh, we we did them all first, you know. We try 
<laughs> like as long as uh, as easy as possible. That makes sense. Yeah. And then, how did you reach the renters? Just uh, SEOs. We, so that we part spent was all a little online. bit of a listing, but just 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 very little. Okay. Mostly SEOs. So that makes sense. The message to reach the renters is very simple. Yeah. Uh, you can find a place to meet, and it's really inexpensive. And it's easy, too. Right. So what do you think the biggest challenge is going forward? It's, it's also the same. Like, you have to convince the building owners and those who holds the real estate and also the regular firm. There's a lot of compliance issues. Oh, so are you running up against regulatory issues in Japan now? No. Regulatory oh. issues. Airbnb has a lot of issues yeah. on that. But renting out your conference room or like meeting room has no regulation. So as long as like building owner says, okay, it's okay. So moving forward, you're kind of expecting more of the same, just more up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good place to be in. Well, let's see. You... You guys launched back in 2013. Yes. But you've only recently raised funds. So why spend three years bootstrapping? The CEO, his name is Uchida. Uh And he had a company. He used to run a solar panel package estimation pricing company or something like that. Yeah, we were talking about that before. It was, yeah, it was was software to estimate the cost of solar panel installations. Yes. Yes. And that time, the pricing is like really odd. So some people buy $30,000 and some people buy like 100000 And it's, they buy the same product in the same amount. So it's like if the sales guy is strong, they could just uh, charge, <laughs> more. Yeah, charge okay. more. He could make them as a compare this company and that company. Okay, so transparent pricing yes, for solar exactly. panel installation. Yes. And then he sold a firm. Actually, he sold the division of the firm. That's like the first in seed finance of uh, Spacey. So he could fund it out of his own pocket for three years. And we, are, we actually profits. had the angel, angel investor invested in us last October, which is a year ago. But still, we kind of run two years of bootstrapping. Okay, and you recently took investment from 500 startups. Yes. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So did you wait just because you, you could, or did investors want to see more traction before they would invest? It's really hard to say, but some people wanted to invest in us beforehand, but we didn't want to like lower our, our value and market value. So we kind of like waited, and that's one reason. And we try to raise more our value, but we kind of like thought it's, it's cool to have uh, 500 startups, the first fundraising company in Japan. <laughs> so did you, did you raise a priced round or was it convertible notes? We didn't do a convertible notes. We, did, we just did the regular equity. Oh, okay. Let's talk a bit about the fundraising environment in Japan. Right. It seems to me that things have really changed over the last five years. But you've been on the ground and, and talking to VCs. What's your impression? How are, how are things now raising funds? It's, it's, it's diff- easy and difficult at the same time. Okay. <laughs> you know? How does that work? Well, it's not easy, but I mean, like, you know, as a startup, you have to have a decent traction that's like the need 
to get funded. That's like our core. You know, sometimes like a seed round, sometimes it's not, doesn't look so hard. You know, like a million dollar valuation raise uh, $10,000. That doesn't sound hard for me. This yeah, these days there are an awful lot of seed stage accelerators、yeah. and seed stage funds in Japan.、Mm. So, yeah, if you want to raise $50,000 at a million dollar valuation, that's pretty easy today.、Right. I think so. What's, when, when does it get harder? When, it, it, <laughs> I think it gets harder. Like, you need a product and traction for the next round. So, your valuation turns out to be like three to five million. Yeah. So that's very like you have to really prove your product is like pretty much through the series A to B. Seed、uh, VCs are really like maybe same as the, the guy from Silicon Valley. But I, when we get to like a little before the series A, we get to like a regular Japanese、uh, venture capitalists. So when you say they're kind of like Silicon Valley, what do you mean? Because if your idea is good and if your team is good, and an investor takes a lot of risk. So, the seed round, they're investing in a, a good team with a good idea and no traction, no problem? Kind of, yes. <laughs> That's overstating it, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> But sometimes, you know, I think entrepreneur is less number in Japan, and meaning like no good team and no good business ideas、uh, compared to like other, other cities. On the execution side, it certainly is. It's, it's much easier to think of a great idea、mm-hmm. than it is to actually go out and sell it to a bunch of、right. people. So that's on the execution side.、Right. Yeah, there's certainly a big difference between getting seed and getting Series A. But once you have that traction and can show a growing user base, do you think it's relatively easy to raise a Series A in Japan now? I mean, if you have a good traction, I think yes. You know, like VCs in Japan. And if you know certain people, they could connect us to other VCs and stuff. So, having a network in Tokyo is not very, very hard. Yeah, the VC community in Tokyo is pretty small. They do tend to invest together. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's what I meant. Okay, well, let me ask you one of the questions that I get asked all the time, which is, What advice do you have for startup founders who are trying to raise money in Japan right now? Right. Before we found, raised funds, a lot of people told us the valuation should be lower. Yeah, I, I think that's all VCs will say that. Yeah, I, yeah, I think all the VCs say that too. It's like on their answering machines.、It's... Yeah, yeah. As an entrepreneur, they worry so much about like down. Funding down,、uh, having a down round, down rounds, yeah, that would be like the worst thing you could ever find. Well, no, it's, it's not the worst thing, it's well, not good, but it's by far not the worst, not thing the worst, but like、yeah. it's worse, <laughs> worst case,、scenario. but it's not good, yeah, it's not good. And if you professionally know what you're doing, you know, put the price on your stock, then I think that price is probably the right price. But I think most of the people are not really understanding. You know, like, I think it's great advice to not give in to the, the downward pressure and downward、yeah. uh, valuation pressure from VCs. But how did you go about deciding on how much space C should be worth before you started fundraising?、We've, we have to like, look for other startups who got funded. 
and then check out their market values, their market size and stuff. Oh, okay. So you went in and said, look, we are part of the sharing economy. Mm. Look at the valuations of all these other companies in the sharing economy. Fund us. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think, the only, because even like the regular stock exchange do that too, you know? Sure. So like, no, that's, but that's how we... That's great advice because quite honestly, the way most investors do fundraising is they'll go out to a bunch of VCs and they'll say, okay, what do you think this is worth? And someone buy higher and lower. Well, as you mentioned, though, it's, you're not necessarily going to go with the highest valuation, no, right? No, no. Well, that's cool, but, you know. So, like, I mean, 500 startups, for example, probably didn't offer you the highest valuation. No, no. We thought their power or their advice should be worse. So, so you wanted an investor that could really help you run the company and yeah. maybe help you with your next round. Yeah. Excellent. Makes sense. What other companies are in the space? I mean, the, the more specific niche, not the right. Airbnbs and Ubers, right. but are there other companies in Japan that are now doing meeting room rental? And- yes. The, the famous one is Space Market, um, Nokisaki. Those are the first one. I think it's the first sharing economy firm in Japan. Uh, now they do pop-up stores and parking. And actually, Nokisaki gave us their old, their space is on our website in near future. But we haven't published it yet, so I don't okay. can say that. This might be a, a scoop for disrupting <laughs> Japan. So... Uh, space Market and Nokisaki, how is Spacey different from them? Nokisaki just pivoted to like parking and pop-up store, so it's okay. And Space Market mainly do for events, or they just raise funds and said they're going to do the same model as Airbnb. So we try to like dig into like a business side and a meeting room. Yeah, it's a different hotel. niche. Quite, yeah, yeah. It's, no, I'd say it's a different market because your your supply side doesn't really overlap and your customer base doesn't no, naturally overlap. No, either. no. Let's talk about Japan in general. So how is the sharing economy viewed in Japan? Both Uber and Airbnb have had their problems here. Right. But the sharing economy in general, what do people think of it here? I don't think people really know about it. Maybe like people who know about it, it's like the investor for Airbnb and stuff like that. So I don't think, you know, normal customer, consumers. But really. you guys are very much on the, the, the forefront of this. You know, you're making calls and explaining this right. to, to office holders and explaining this to renters. What is the reaction from most offices when you say, well, do you want to rent out one of your meeting rooms mm. occasionally? Is it something they get or is that just... Does that seem like a really strange concept? They feel interesting almost most of the time. Say like building owners, if the guy's young, they really get curious. They really want to do it. You know, but the you know, old guys in company right. is very hard to get through. Now you're, you're talking about compliance issues, but there aren't really any no. laws or regulations. No, is it no. more just an, an attitude? And I think it's more like uh, they're you know, psychological barrier type of things. And nobody really has done it yet. Okay, so it, it's not 
the resistance is just a general resistance to trying something new. Mm. It's not a particular resistance to having other people come in to use their property or use their facilities. I mean, that is one issue. But like our users mainly are business people because they don't want their meeting room as a party room or, you know, like uh, college kids just jump in and, you know, do crazy right. stuff. And they don't want that to happen. But if the, you know, business person like you, you <laughs> a meeting room, oh, if that's the case, that's, that's fine. So the, the basic concept of sharing is relatively well accepted once it's explained. Kind of. Yeah. Well, what, what kind of problems have you had? Sometimes, like building itself is hard to rent out to other people because they're the, they're not the owner, building owner. Sometimes they are the tenants, so they have to talk to like the you know building property management company and uh, building owners and stuff like that, and that would take a bit hard. Okay. Well, that's that's the big problem Airbnb. Well, one yeah. of the big problems yes. Airbnb is having in Japan now. Yeah. Well, all over the world, really. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> we, yeah, we do. We had the same problem. So. All right. Were most of the management companies agreeable once it was explained, or did some of them just say no? You can't. That's subleasing, and we won't let you do that. It really depends on like a corporate culture of them, and the real estate business in Japan is. Pretty much like a very, very like Japanese style, as I said. <laughs> well, you'll have to explain what that means to our audience. So what, what is very Japanese about I mean, Japanese like, real estate? I mean, I agree, but... <laughs> I'm like a super conservative. Like they don't try to do new stuff. And sometimes I feel like they don't even want to make money out of it. <laughs> you know? Uh, I know that feeling, yes. <laughs> But sometimes I, I really understand like why they don't want to rent out because of their quality of buildings and their branding. I mean, that case, I really understand that like you don't need to do that. But sometimes like, you know, like old building sits there and nobody, you know, gets leasing and stuff like that. Then why wouldn't you rent out, right? Excellent. Well, listen, before we wrap up, let me ask you what I call my, my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand and I said you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, hmm. to make it better for startups, you could change people's attitude towards risk or the law or the education system, anything at all, what would you change? Environment is good. And if people have enough education... We need more um, reputation. What do you mean by reputation? When you do something as a kid, and if you try to become a, let's say, baseball player, even though you're a kid, to become like some notable situation or work for like a you know big company. You know. So sort more to more examples, more role models. Yes, yes. Ah. So in that. In order to do that, like we need probably need more maybe VC money or whatever the money that invests into the startup community. Do you, do you think that's happening now? I think it gradually. Yeah, yes. I mean we've got we've got a we've got a few. I mean there's always there's always people like San San and Mikitani San yes. who yes. are just but they're almost too big and too yeah. huge to be a role model. I mean I think we're starting to see a lot of successful younger smaller mm. entrepreneurs yes 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 in japan like if you if you scale out your business they do commercial on tv right power of mass is still like uh, huge 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, the startup community, it, it is easy for us to forget sometimes, but the right. startup community in Japan, it's still relatively small. And I think it's segregated from... Uh, the real regu- world? Yeah, regular <laughs> society, I guess. I think you're used to like Series C or they advertise in a TV commercial and that they get like a huge traction. Yeah, that does seem to be the real tipping point for Japanese yeah, startups is so. once they raise... About nine, ten million dollars immediately start with TV advertising. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, you know, I think it is one of the biggest challenges I think that startup founders face in Japan is that the rules for life are actually very clear in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Everything you need to do from the time you're kindergarten to the time you're retired mm-hmm. and even after that are、yeah. all very well known and clear. But to become a founder, you have to throw away half of those yes, <laughs> yes. and figure the other half out for yourself. Yeah. And I think it, it's hard for a lot of people.、It's, I think so. And it's hard to come back to the regular path、yeah. of your life. That, I think, is the, one of the hardest. Do you think you'll be doing startups forever? Do you ever see going back to a, a real job? <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 don't, I think this startup is good for me. Startup job is harder, obviously. Yeah, it's a, more enjoyable.、Though. Yeah, more enjoyable, obviously.、Too. Well, listen, before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? The sharing economy would be like, much bigger in the next 10 to 15 years. I think, in our like, regular people wise, I think sharing economy is more. Impact to our daily lives, I think. So, you think it's going to go really mainstream in Japan? I, I think it, in Japan, it's more fit compared to other countries, I guess. Really? Yes. Why is that? Because I think the, the density,、okay. population density, and the moral of like the people are using well. As a space or as a. Well, there is a, there is a high degree of trust in Japan. Yeah. Crime is very low, fraud、yes. is very low. Yes, that is another reason. Yeah, the, and density and those two. And if that come, money and regulation matter, and Japanese are more, had a more harding behavior. So, you think we'll hit some kind of a tipping point yeah, I think where、so. suddenly it's acceptable and, ev- and it's everywhere? And then, you know, think about like LA and San Francisco. Yeah. It's the same date, but it takes hours to get there. But Tokyo has like the biggest population as a city. Well, not just Tokyo City, but like Tokyo area gets bigger than the Mexico City. It does make sense. I mean, they're, they're the, the high level of trust in Japan. The density of the population makes it easier to share yes, yes. and harder to own things. Yeah. More inconvenient to own things. So it's, it's, inter- it's interesting. But yeah, I think you're right. Japan might be more suited for sharing economy I, than anywhere、yeah. else. And if you could break through that part, I think it, it would really get big. Excellent. Well, listen, listen, Tox, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Nice to talk to you. Likewise. Some of Japan's largest companies are starting open innovation programs and actively reaching out to global startups. They're new at this, and that's where Crew, with two W's, comes in. Crew runs corporate startup accelerators for companies like Toyota and Panasonic and dozens more. 
and these programs are one of the best ways to jumpstart your business in Japan. Many are open to global startups, and they're completely free. Now, I've known and worked with the crew team, and they're probably doing more than anyone to bridge the gap between corporate Japan and global startups. So drop by crew with two W's dot M-E slash four hyphen startups and get started. And we're back. After three years of bootstrapping and building traction, Spacey now has a solid roster of investors that includes 500 startups and several other important firms here. They're clearly on their way. The real question in my mind, however, remains the ultimate size of the market. In the case of Uber and Airbnb, users are simply substituting one purchasing behavior for another. Instead of hailing a cab, you call an Uber. Instead of booking a hotel online, you book a room through Airbnb. These services are plug-and-play replacements that offer significant benefits to what they're replacing. Spacey, however, has a bigger challenge. They need to convince people to adopt new behaviors, that of renting meeting rooms for casual meetings. Still, Taku had a very interesting insight about Japan and Tokyo in particular, that the density of the population and the price of office space provides a strong incentive for people to adopt this new behavior, not just for meeting room rental, but for other sharing economy services as well. The next few years are going to be very interesting here in Tokyo. If you've got a sharing economy story, Taku and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com/show059 and let's talk about it. When you drop by, you'll find all the links and sites that Taku and I talked about, and much, much more in the resources section of the post. And if you like what we're doing here at Disrupting Japan, share it with your friends. If you hate it, then share it with your enemies. And most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.